Good morning. How are you? Good. I didn't hear anybody say bad, so we are off to a good start. My name is Joe. For those of you that don't know me, I'm part of the pastoral team here at LCF, and it's my pleasure once again to get to be with you and open God's Word. Uh, as you know, last week we kind of started uh, going back through our five kind of marks of a devoted follower of Jesus here at LCF and kind of explaining what those are again, just a little refresher. Uh, last week, Tim took us through gospel-centered, and so today we're going to look at our mission-driven section, and we're going to really try to establish what a mission-driven identity means. Uh, so we will try to do that, and I want to start by doing that, uh, by telling you guys a story. In 1543, Nicholas Copernicus, does anybody know him? Science teachers, maybe? Nicholas Copernicus published his work entitled On the Revolution of the Heavenly Spheres. It might not sound like a big deal, but in 1543, this book was a very big deal. Before Copernicus, there was basically universal consensus that the universe and our solar system, at least, uh, functioned using a geocentric model, which is that the earth was the center of the universe and all things kind of went around it. Now... Others, before Copernicus, have hypothesized before him, prior to 14, or 1543, that there was a heliocentric model, that the sun is the center of the universe and the earth and all things go around it. But it was his work that started literally an astronomical revolution. He also put forth that the earth spun on its axis every 24 hours and that it went around the sun once every roughly 365 days. He didn't get... Uh, everything in his book, right? A lot of scholars think a lot of his math was pretty bogus, but the things he did get right, others continued to build on, including Galileo, Newton, among others. What the Copernican Revolution did do was completely shift the way we look at the stars and figure out where we are in the cosmos. It was the spark that was necessary to reach new places in astronomy and to conduct relevant science relating the universe. This is all cool to me in a scientific sense, but when we look at scripture, I believe we need to be willing to have, can we say, Copernican revolutions in our lives each and every time we learn something new about ourselves based on the word of God. When we discover who we are, our identity, we can reach new places for God's eternal kingdom. So that's what we're going to try to do today. My aim is to help us all discover something new about us today in the Word of God that will shift the way we see ourselves completely, how we see our identity and the world around us. So, no pressure. I'm up for the challenge, though. So we're going to read our passage. Our passage is 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. If you have a Bible, open it there, please. I will read uh, this section. We'll pray together, and we'll dive in. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you, Lord, before your eternal word that never returns to you void. God, I pray that that would be Again, your promised case this morning, Lord, that everything I say that is from you, that is in line with your will, Lord, would that be heard and would it shape how we see ourselves? Would it shape our identities, Lord? Shape who we are. And if I say anything, God, apart from your will and opposed to your word, would it fall on deaf ears? God, thank you for this beautiful text that we get to look at today. God, thank you that you are with us, that you have reconciled those that you are calling to yourself, that you have given us a message of reconciliation. God, you're so good to us. We know we are undeserving, but in your great mercy have you made the way, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, be with us. Pour out your grace over us. Lord, we ask that that you would uh, encourage and convict us this morning, ultimately that we would learn uh, from your word and we would become imitators of you more closely, Lord Jesus. Uh, We love you. We give this time to you as a worship, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if we take a step back from this passage that we just read, it is clear that there's one overriding factor that kind of runs throughout the whole thing, and that factor is summed up in a word. So out loud, if anybody caught on to it, this one word is used over and over and over and over and over again. What word is that? Reconciliation. That's right. Reconciliation is the key word here, and Paul is very clever to use it so emphatically. An easy definition of this word is that there is a reconciliation, a bringing back together of broken relationship. There was a chasm in a relational structure, and through differing means, that relationship has been mended. It has been reconciled, is now whole, is now right, has been made new. We, i.e. all of humanity, are sinful and opposed to God apart from Christ If we need a reminder of that, I'm going to read from you from Romans chapter 3, which is quoted in large from Psalm chapter 14. Romans 3, uh, 10, you can just listen, but it says this. Paul writes in, in Romans, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, that doesn't sound like a right relationship with God. And indeed, it's not. There is no way for anyone to enter into eternity with God with that type of relationship. We must be reconciled to Him in order to enjoy Him forever. And when I mean and say forever, that's what I mean because I want to make this clear from the get-go. We are mission-driven and hold a mission-driven identity because we care about eternity. Not only our eternity, excuse me, not only our eternity, but the eternity of others as well. And I've been thinking about this a lot this past week, and I don't know why I think about funny things sometimes, but have you ever stopped in your day to consider eternity and to consider those going to eternity forever apart from God? Like not five years, ten years, a hundred years, a thousand, a billion, a trillion years, but forever with no hope of ever being in the presence of God, ever again for everlasting upon everlasting upon everlasting. How bleak of a reality is that, an existence is that. It's honestly mind-boggling and dizzying to try to think through that reality that so many will enter into, and yet there's so many around us heading straight there. And there's only one way to be reconciled to God forever, and He provided that way. Look at the last verse, verse 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 18. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Verse 19. In Christ... God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. When you are reconciled to God through Christ, your trespasses are not held against you. But until then, my trespasses, your trespasses, your co-workers' trespasses, the shop owners' trespasses in Baghdad, all of humanity's trespasses, remember Romans 3, have separated us from a holy God. But God has made the way of reconciliation through Christ. This came from Him. It is a gift that is given to those who will receive it. The passage tells us everything is from God. This includes His work of salvation in your life. If you are saved by His grace through faith by Christ. Commentator Colin Cruz puts it this way. He says, What is stressed in the present passage is the amazing grace of God revealed when He Himself took the initiative in Christ to remove the obstacle of reconciliation existing on His part. It is only on this basis that there exists a gospel of reconciliation by which humanity can now be called to be reconciled to God. So what we're going to do today is try to flesh out our identity 
as I said, and the first way we're going to do that, and really through the rest of the time, is by drawing a picture. So if there's any littles, you can draw this picture. It is very reproducible that we can take on our identity and share that identity, including sharing the gospel with others. So if you're a note taker, just leave a little bit of space, a little bit of area in your notes, and we'll fill this picture in as we go. The main point here, if you have repented of your sins and placed your allegiance to Christ, you have been reconciled to God. So at the top of our picture, we're going to put a cross. So when someone is reconciled to God, two things about that person happen. And the text tells us both of those things. The first of those is that they are a new creation. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Paul can express this verbiage because it's true. The shift from unreconciled to reconciled is an eternal shift. It is one that changes everything for that person. It is literally what Scripture calls a new birth. When we look at life, we all look at it as the most of incredible miracles. When I first held my sons, I was overwhelmed with emotion, with joy. I was infatuated with the new life that I held in my hands, thankful and enamored with my wife who carried and birthed those babies. But new birth, it means so much to us, new life. And when we have new life, a rebirth in Christ, we have been reconciled to God because of Him. The old self is D-E-A-D, dead, gone, non-existent. This is new life birthed out. This is not a better, like, better version of yourself or of your past self. It's not like a uh, new and improved. It's not a better self-help type person. It's not an ascent to any type of new philosophy. This is a death of all that once was and a rebirth into being a new creation. Verse 16 in the whole preceding section tells us about how we do not look at the world the same once we have undertaken this new birth. This is not just a temporal rebirth. This is change for eternity. This has eschatological impact for us, end times impact for us, eternal impact. Our passage says that the old has passed away and see the new has come. Revelation 21 tells us that God is making a new cosmic creation for his people where the old is passed away. In those things passed away are crying, pain, death, suffering, and God is making everything new. This matters because you have forever those saved in Christ, to look forward to. New creation people begin to take part in the newly created order that was put in place with the advent and work of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation, trespass is gone for those that are in Christ. What a beautiful thing, what a beautiful fact it is that my sins, your sins, every sin I've ever committed, Every sin I ever thought about committing, every sin I was ever going to commit have been made clean. 
all my trespasses. He nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord that I have been wiped clean in God's eyes. I am a new creation and through the spirit that lives in me, I function out of a newly created order. Isn't God good to give us this new life? So we see on our picture the first thing that flows out of being reconciled to God is that we are a new creation. And the second thing that happens to the person reconciled to God is that they become an ambassador for Him. The passage states this clearly, verse 18, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The whole concept we talked about, about being reconciled to God, that ministry has been given to you to perform with others. Verse 19, God has committed the message of reconciliation to us. This is a message that you own in your heart. It shapes your life and how you interact with others. Verse 20, therefore, here's the key if the other verses weren't clear enough. We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. Now the definition for an ambassador is the same now as it was back then. An easy definition is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. You, a reconciled new creation in Christ, a citizen of a new kingdom, a new order, are an ambassador to the lost world with the message of reconciliation. God is making his appeal for lost sinners heading to an eternity apart from him through you. You are his ambassador. The plan to reach others with the message of the gospel is you. There's no plan B. It's only plan A. This is sobering, I think, yet also incredibly inspiring. Charles Spurgeon, quoting on this exact aspect of who we are, says this. It's lengthy, but I think it's worth it, so I'm going to read it for you. Spurgeon says this. Notice how the text puts it. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. This, though, staggers me. As I came along this morning, I felt as if though I could bury my head in my hands and weep as I thought of God beseeching anybody. He speaks and it is done. Myriads of angels count themselves happy to fly at his command. And yet man has so become God's enemy that he will not be reconciled to him. God would make him his friend and spends the blood of his dear son to cement that relationship, but man will not have it. See the great God turns to beseeching his obstinate creature, his foolish creature. In this I feel a reverent compassion for God. Must he beseech a rebel to be forgiven? Do you hear it? He who is the king of kings veils his sovereignty and stoops to beseeching his creature to be reconciled to him. I wonder not that some of my brethren start back from such an idea and cannot believe that it could be so. It seems so derogatory to the glorious God. Yet my text says it, and it must be true. As though God did beseech you 
by us. This makes it awful work to preach and evangelize, does it not? I ought to beseech you as though God spoke to you through me, looking at you with these eyes and stretching out his hands through these hands. See, God in his eternal might, his pure holiness, his perfect power and consuming wrath stoops so low as to make a path of reconciliation to us through his son Jesus and through the spoken message of the gospel. That gospel of reconciliation, that ancient cross. How preposterous, yet how true. And this, I believe, is for the believer as well. God creates by his word He beckons and angels move with reverence and joy. Yet he commands his followers to give freely the spoken message of reconciliation, the gospel, to others so that they might have eternal life. And many or most times we shy away. How can it be? He has committed the gospel to you. You are his representative To the world. Won't you look at people through the eyes of Christ? Reach out to people with the hands of Christ. Speak to them with the message of Christ. For it is only by a hearing faith that they will be saved. Galatians 3.2 Amazing also is that the word Paul uses here in verse 24, ambassador, is the Greek word presbuo. Presbuo literally means to be an ambassador. See, our text uses it as a noun, but literally in the Greek, it's a verb. There's no such thing as an idle ambassador. To be an ambassador is to be doing the act of ambassadoring. I don't think that's a word, but I'm okay if I made it up. It's to be doing the work of an ambassador, it is active. It is a verb. It is something we do, we carry out. So in our picture, we see that those that are in Christ are reconciled to God, are new creations, and now are ambassadors to the world. One and the same, both and. But if we look at our picture, more aptly, if we just based on the word of God, is it possible to be reconciled to God, be a new creation in Christ, and not be an ambassador for Christ. No, we cannot. Also though, can we be reconciled to God, be an ambassador with the message of reconciliation entrusted to us, yet not be a new creation? Of course not. So what we see is that those reconciled to God are both new creations and ambassadors One and the same. And what we have really been describing this morning, this entire time, is that this is our identity. When you placed your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, pledged your allegiance to him, I hope through baptism, your identity changed. Everything about who you are and your identity shifted These truths are not pieces of you. They're not characteristics or segments of who you are. 
They are you. You are a reconciled, new creation, ambassador for God Almighty. The more you live out that identity, the closer to Him you will feel. I promise that, and we'll figure that out from the text in just a moment. But this picture is who you are. It is your identity. I hope this is causing, or enforcing in many, a conviction in you, a Copernican revolution, a shift in your heart and your mind about who you are in Christ. This isn't something also that is uh, lofty or hard to comprehend or retell to others about who they are. My sons have known this fact since they were toddlers, and I think this is neat. A seven-year-old brought me this and understood after first service that this picture of his identity in Christ is cemented in a simple, reproducible, childlike picture like the one we've drawn today. Our identity is simple, newly reconciled, newly created ambassadors for God. So what I want you to do is if you can take this picture, take this concept of being a reconciled, newly created ambassador and put it somewhere, put it on your mirror in your house, put it in your car, put it in the front page of your journal, somewhere, put it like my Bible when my son Ridge was like three years old, drew this on a sticky note and put it in my Bible and I will never take it out of here as long as I live. Have it with you. And know that you function out of your identity in Christ. And start telling that identity to others. The gospel is in here, guys. Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. In light of this, as we walk through these five items that we define here at LCF as being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and as Tim said Last week, we're not only want to define what these items mean, as we have kind of just done here with Mission Driven in our identity, but also tell you our commitment to you as a church, as a staff, and what your calling and responsibility is to that. So here we go. Our commitment to you. We have and will continue to focus all missions, ministries on the identity that we are reconciled new creation ambassadors and that there are people heading to an eternity that are not found in that category. All of our efforts outside the walls of this church are focused on the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. If you know our efforts, you, I hope, will see that we have endeavored to do that for some time. We hold no place left evangelism and discipleship trainings fairly regularly, we forge cross-cultural church partnerships, two right now to be exact, one in India, one in the Middle East, that focused on reaching the lost with the gospel. We partner locally with Refuge KC, where ministry happens in a multitude of ways to get the gospel to refugees and other cross-cultural peoples here in Kansas City. We are focused on evangelism and church planting in our missions that we partake in as a church, and we love pray for and serve our missionaries that have went out from this body and are doing that work overseas. Not only that, but we will filter 
what we do as outreach through the lens of gospel proclamation. It can, of course, have compassion or service-type ministries attached to it, but if there is no proclamation, it is not missions. Non-believers do nice things for people too, but we give Jesus. And the only way that they'll know you're serving them or being compassionate towards them in Christ is if you tell them. And if we are going to tell them that we are serving them or compassionate towards them because of Christ, it might as well be because we are operating out of our identity and pleading with them to give their life and their allegiance to him. So that is what we promise to you. And if you ever see that slip, this is my invitation to you to remind us of that and to help us fall back in line with our identity as a church. But what is your responsibility in this? What is your role? I have four things. The first of those is pray. There is no greater measure that you can perform to be a mission-driven disciple of Jesus than to pray. You'll see, uh, I think, about everywhere where there's a family sat, there's a little missions prayer booklet there. Uh, we, we gave these out back in the fall, and I think they help you, inform you on everything that we have going on here as missions at LCF and how to pray alongside those. So I hope you take that with you and use it to its fullest extent. But there's no greater measure that you can perform than to pray. And Jesus, in teaching us how to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, said, Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. About reaching the world, Jesus instructs us in Luke chapter 10 and says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray for God to send out laborers into his harvest, yourself included. Pray for missionaries, for partnerships. Pray for God's glory to be known in this world. The second thing that you can do is give. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells the church of Philippi about his missions work. And he says this, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. He goes on to say that their gifts were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord. This passage is in the context of Paul's mission work. It is the giving towards missions. A sacrificial offering that is pleasing to the Lord is literally a deposit into your heavenly account. So I ask, do you give regularly to our Western Asia church planning team or to another missionary that LCF has sent out or someone you know? Do you sacrifice in your giving of your time, your treasures, your talents for the Lord to be known? In this, I hope you do consider. The third is to proclaim, to go. Every day is a new opportunity to proclaim Jesus to someone new. You have been commanded by Jesus to make new disciples, yes, to raise up and grow and disciple already existing disciples, which is typically what we think about in discipleship at church, but also to make new ones, which means they previously weren't one. You can do this overseas as a missionary. We would love to continue to send out more workers 
from this church into God's harvest fields from this body. And you can do this next door with your coworker at the gym, at the grocery store. Paul charges Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I charge you the same. Whether or not we are gifted in evangelism is completely irrelevant. An ambassador is your identity. Which leads me to the last point, last point number four. Live out each and every day in your mission-driven identity in Christ. This will change everything about who you are. And since I am no better at saying this than the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to read from you scripture for us to close. It's from chapters 4, 5, and 6. And everything that we've talked about today, our identity in Christ, our reconciliation to Him, our new creation in Him, and our ambassadorship that He has given us, all are encompassed in what Paul says in these three chapters. So I read from you from God's Word. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more and more and more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Our momentary and light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What are we is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all have died. And he died for all so that those who, should, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the message of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with Him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive this grace of God in vain. For He says, at an acceptable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We are not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that in the ministry we will be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, us, all of us, we commend ourselves to the work of the Lord in everything. What is everything? By great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet we remain true, as unknown, yet recognized, as dying, yet see, we live, as being disciplined, yet not killed, as grieving, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet enriching many, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. When we live in our identity in Christ, we possess everything, and we can function out of that identity for the glory of our great King, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.